Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Web Chatham Report, episode 109. What's up? Happy Friday. Welcome to the weekend. Well, maybe not yet, but if you're listening to this, maybe that means it's Friday. I mean, if you're listening to this quickly, maybe that means it's Friday and you've already finished your work. It could be weekend already. It's weekend for me because we still give mental health days at Time Hop. So one day a month, one Friday a month, we just give it off to people. Everyone, we tried doing like, um, you know, give everybody an extra day or two off a month and kind of forcing them to use it because everybody was hoarding their vacation time at the beginning of the pandemic, thinking the pandemic was ever going to end. <laughs> Those silly people. Uh, but it didn't really work. And it also kind of sucked because you took a day off, but the rest of the company kept working. So they kept slacking you or like stuff would happen. So now we just tell everybody you have this day off and we all take the same day off once a month and it's quite lovely. So, yeah. Um, you know, that combined with MLK Day, we are towards the end of February, and I did do two five-day weeks this month. Uh, you will recall last year I was used up all my vacation time for taking the last Friday off of the month, of the, every Friday off for the last 20 or so weeks of the month, so I have not been working five-day weeks in quite some time, and uh, it's okay. It's not as fun as a four-day week. Four-day weeks are awesome. We should all work four-day weeks. I'm very into that idea. But, you know, I don't think it's really practically realistic. There's some people that work really hard and they need that extra day and they don't want it. And it's kind of like, what do you do? Then they, I don't know. I worry about that. I worry about that. Anyway, it is day 690 of my pandemic. My microphone is slightly off. Let's get this. There we go. That's better. That's a little echoey on my voice there. 690. Did not see that coming two years ago. Uh, we're watching... Cheer season two, and uh, it's kind of interesting because the pandemic is just imminent, right? They started filming before the pandemic, and I don't know when that's going to hit, but watching a docu documentary that's about some topic, any topic that spans when everybody learns about the pandemic is very stressful because you're like, well, you know, you guys really think this stuff matters. <laughs> yeah, things are going to change for you pretty soon, but of course, there are a bunch of kids, and I bet it doesn't actually change that much. It'll be interesting, it'll be interesting. Chatham County is lovely right now. Uh, we've had two snowfalls of two inches each, and um, each time the snow is mostly melted away, but not completely. A little drifts here and there from where people plowed and stuff like that, and we're supposed to get another one tonight. So another one to two inches, just sort of the, the southern edge of this giant storm that is about to hit the entire East Coast. So everybody I know on the East Coast is basically north of me, save for a few people in Atlanta and my friend in Wilmington, and uh, they're all getting hit real bad. Boston's supposed to get one to two feet, so that's kind of insane. Oh my god, it's gonna be nuts. But uh, for us, you know, three snowstorms in January where the snow doesn't melt completely in between, that's relatively unprecedented in my seven years here, so kind of exciting. Jane is enjoying the snow. She had this whole thing with the last one where she didn't want it to get on her snow boots, she was like, she liked being in the snow, and if you could distract her with fun, it was fun, but if you just tried to walk in the snow, she'd be like, no, get this stuff off my boots, which I thought was pretty funny. Uh, the other thing about the snow last week was it was perfectly, perfectly fluffy and light and shovelable, so my mother-in-law, who lives, you know, across the driveway, shoveled most of the driveway in the morning when I was still watching Jane and I couldn't do it, and I was so jealous because it was like the perfect snow shoveling snow, and I just thought it was hilarious. We were both like... When, have there, when has there ever been a competition where people are dying to shovel the driveway? But she left enough for me, so I got some good sh snow shoveling in, too. That was quite lovely, quite lovely. Uh, what else? Uh, we have a lot of HOA drama going on. It's super fun. Uh, I sent out the email about the dues for the year, and, uh, you know, we spent some money this year per approval of the board. And several neighbors, not several, like two, are really upset that we spent the money that the board, or that the, not, not per approval of the board, per approval of the whole neighborhood at the HOA meeting. And, uh, but then we did what was approved and what we told people we were going to do. And then they got mad. So that <laughs> was kind of, and they didn't get mad at me. I just was the, maybe they did, but they didn't say anything to me. They, I was just the messenger. <laughs> I'm just like, 
Great. Cool. You know, you can have the most minimalist HOA in the world and somebody still finds a way to get some drama in there. You know, if you want the drama, we got a, we got a nice neighborhood right up the road, a governor's club. You could go live in where there's plenty of HOA drama, but, uh, you know, I'm the treasurer. And so I got to collect, uh, there are 24 lots in the neighborhood. And I think about 12 of them have paid me so far. It's been two weeks. I think people don't like to pay their bills, man. It's pretty weird. Uh, Nobody involved in the complaining. Actually, one of them has paid now. One of them paid yesterday. <laughs> Most of the people involved in the complaining have not paid their bills. So, you know, I guess that, yeah, it's, it's crazy. Uh, high drama, high drama. Big, big part of my, my, my life the last week. <laughs> what else is going on in Chatham County? Uh, the, the coronavirus, of course. I uh, barely leave the house these days. When I do, I'm like double masked and triple vaxxed. It's kind of absurd. Uh, 150 people in my county got COVID yesterday, which is pretty crazy. That's very high. Back like pre-Omicron, it was like seven people a day. <laughs> the hospitals in the state are the highest occupancy of COVID-19 uh, victims, I guess you could say, since the beginning. There, is, there are 5,100 people in North Carolina hospitalized for COVID right now. The positivity test rate two days ago was 37%. It had been creeping up. It was in the 30s last time we talked, and it peaked at 37. Today is down to 30, so I don't know if that's a fluke or not, so we will have to see, but I'm betting it's a fluke. Um, we're at 28,000 positive tests in the state per day. We were under a thousand before Omicron came along, and I still can't pronounce that word. And it peaked at forty thousand, so it does look like it's trending down now. But you know, it's still an awful lot. It's pretty crazy. Um, yeah, I went to the grocery store yesterday, and everybody, all the, it was like senior day. You know, I thought I'd go early because of the snow today. Seniors, man, they don't like to wear their masks properly. They just like take it off their nose and i'm like you didn't realize all of society is wearing these masks primarily for your benefit could you just like try please it's a little frustrating out of the eight seniors i saw at the grocery store about seven of them were incorrectly wearing their masks so that was cool that was cool um that's the only time i left the house uh I left the house a week ago same thing a quick trip to the grocery store and to drop off the recycling i leave once a week for about 30 minutes. So I'm still somewhat surprisingly, I was going to say not surprisingly, but somewhat surprisingly, I still don't have COVID. None of us have gotten it. Um, unless, of course, we all got it in February 2020 at the beginning of all this when I was coming back from Alaska and Seattle and New York. <laughs> and we all got really sick. But since then, uh, we, you know, we don't We didn't get it. We haven't got it. Um, it's not not fun. I, I like my house a lot, but man, I'm getting kind of tired of it. You know, it's like I'm spending a lot of time on Zillow. <laughs> I'm like, I could move, just switch houses. You know, I don't even like, I look at like, I look around here, but I look at just random other places and I'm just like, I just look at the house because I just assume I'll be stuck in the house forever. So it doesn't really matter where the house is. I mean, I guess it's not entirely sure. I found a really great house in central New Jersey the other day. And I was like, I could live there. It's a little bit more expensive than our house, but we could definitely afford it. And I was like, that's a nice house. It's got an indoor pool. I want an indoor pool. When you live in the middle of nowhere, you can afford an indoor pool. Well, you know, many people. When you live in the middle of nowhere, indoor pools are shockingly more affordable than they are anywhere else. Let's put it that way. Uh, yeah, so, you know, that's not going to happen. I don't think we're going anywhere. Uh, I also have dreams of adding a workshop to the property Been looking at those like little portable sheds and stuff like that. I really want a workshop. It makes me sad. I just want a little workshop, you know, with put my tools. They're in the garage. We got a workbench, but in the winter, especially both cars are in the garage and it's only a two car garage. So there's no like real room for the workbench. I mean, there's room for the bench itself, but you can't stand in front of it. You can't build anything. Just a little workshop. Wouldn't that be nice? And then, you know, another little garage. So I could keep one car in that garage. Uh, yeah, I'm doing okay, though. I'm doing all right. I've been remarkably level emotionally this last month. I've had one or two little freakouts here and there. I had one night of very hard time with Jane. It was bad. She was full on, full on uncooperative and tantrum -y. And, uh, 
you know, she had said earlier in the night she had an itchy arm and I was like, okay, well we got to put this cream on it, you know, and then she wouldn't do it. And so I kind of didn't realize that the two might have been related until yesterday when we were about to go on her walk. She mentioned once she hurt her legs somehow between the dinner table and the foyer where we put her shoes on for our walk. And then uh, Emma was like trying to look at it. And then she said no. And then she started getting ready again. And then she just started throwing huge tantrums about nothing. I mean, she would say they were about things like she got very upset that Emma was going to wear a scarf on the walk, you know. But she never mentioned the hurt foot again. And so it was just like she's throwing these tantrums. And eventually they were so bad we couldn't go on a walk. And we just gave up. And it was Emma's night for bedtime. So she went upstairs. And eventually, like an hour later, Jane mentions again that about her hurt foot. And Emma realizes maybe it was actually something. And then, you know, gives her some child ibuprofen or something. I don't know. She did something. And it was better. But it got me thinking about the other day where I had this horrible tantrum that was just the worst night I've had with Jane in like a year. And I was like, maybe that arm really was still hurt, you know, but like, she does know how to say I have an ouchie or I have a boo-boo and like, she says my something hurts or I don't feel so well. She knows all of these terms that she knows what they mean, but she doesn't, didn't say them. So I don't know. It's, it's a little, it's a little stressful. I'm not going to lie, but all in all, she's been a little bit better. And I'm just realizing now that yesterday I was supposed to write my letter to her. So I guess I will do that today after this. My once every month letter to my daughter that I write that eventually will be a book I give her when she turns some mature age, 18, 20, who knows, uh, 30 if she's like me, <laughs> who are we kidding, 35 if she's like me, uh, but yeah, I gotta write that letter today, um, but yeah, she's doing mostly better, she's much more communicative, and she's she's pleasant, and we have a good time, and, and we talk a lot, and she's always learning interesting things, she's very interested in you know, like, I don't know, what are we learning about now? We're reading Harold and the Purple Crayon, which is lovely, because that was my favorite book as a child. And uh, I have this four, I have the whole Harold saga, if you will, all four Harold books in one hardbound book that Emily Taylor gave me years ago. So it's great. So Jane and I are reading that every night, and she really loves it. She's drawing kitties all the time. She's playing with her new dollhouse that a neighbor gave her. Um we're talking, I'm trying, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm trying to, uh, I don't know, I'm thinking about teaching about money soon, because she's mentioned it a couple times, I was ranting and raving the other day, because the Indian place stiffed us on our samosas, and it's like $20, it's kind of annoying, because they already screw up the samosas, because there's supposed to be two samosas for $5, and we want four samosas, but for months, they only give you one samosa per order, and I'm doing this on Grubhub, and I'm neurotic, and I'm not going to call them, so I've been ordering four orders of samosas to get the four samosas, when really that should be eight samosas, so I'm spending like $20 on samosas, and then they just did have them and rather than calling me and saying hey we don't have these samosas do you want something else they just left a note in the bag and I was just like ranting like twenty dollars twenty dollars and Jane like caught on to it and I was like you know that she's like that's money so she does know a little bit but I'm like I don't think it's quite time to teach her about money yet because I don't think I can teach her like mutually beneficial trading she's just not quite there on something that complex you know what I mean or like medium of exchange like I couldn't do a little story where like Bob has fish and Sam has horses and Sally has wheat and Bob wants horses and and Sally wants horses, but you know, I can't remember the names, you know, (laughs) and they can't all perfectly trade with each other. So they need a medium of exchange. You know, I want to teach her all that first, uh, but I don't think she's quite there yet, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Otherwise she's learning lots of stuff. It's kind of interesting. Um, Right now she's doing the States. She's got the States down. Uh, I think she's mastered the States. One or two a little. She's still having a hard time with Kansas. But who doesn't have a hard time with Kansas, right? It's a tough one. Um, but yeah, she's good. She's good. Uh, what else? Work's going well. Not a lot has happened to work this last few weeks. Uh, revenue sort of stabilization after the new year is always like a bit of a rough thing. Signed some good new clients. Onboarding some exciting new clients. Revenue's kind of growing. Nimbus revenue is up 350% from last year, year on year. That's pretty exciting. Uh, Time Ops doing okay. It's doing well. Yeah, works fun. Everybody seems to be holding up okay. I mean, we're two years into being remote. Not quite two years yet. It's going to be March 9th. That is the day it'll be two years. So we are one year and 10 months, 11 months, one year and 11 months almost of being remote. There are many people that work at the company, like five or six. I mean, we're only 24 people that have never been to the office <laughs> don't really care one way or the other the woman in austin doesn't care the woman in georgia has never been to the office she doesn't care uh, 
it's pretty funny. But uh, I like it. It's a good time. Everything's pretty pleasant at work. Uh, let's see. I did a new 409A evaluation. I applied for forgiveness on our PPP loan. I finished the insurance DNO renewal. Uh, lots of important, important business stuff. Business, business. Numbers, numbers. Is this working? Uh, we did do a pretty good product meeting. I did a nice presentation to the whole company on how we were doing financially. That was pretty fun. Yeah, works all right. Works all right. Uh, projects, not really doing a whole lot of projects. Gardening's not going to start for another couple, you know, I, like I said last time, I'm having this big debate about whether I do seedlings at all, because I believe that you don't really need to do them. You could just plant in the ground on your last frost date and it will be fine. But also I realized that I really enjoyed seedlings and I'm going to, so what I've decided to sort of split the difference. There's some things that did really, really well for me in seedlings last year and a lot of things that didn't. It was pointless. The cucumbers did not do particularly well. The basil did well, and I will probably plant some basil seeds. The tomatoes did great, so I will definitely, I think tomatoes, you do get a head start by doing seeds because they grow so vigorously in seedlings. So I'm going to do those. And also, I just really enjoyed it. It made me happy, and I, like, I don't have a lot of projects right now, so like gardening on the weekends was making me happy, and I miss it. So I'm going to start the seedlings for the tomatoes. In, I think, mid-February. Technically, I could do it, like, February 8th, but it felt a little long last year. They were definitely, like, bursting from the seams in their in their cups before I could plant them in the ground. So I think I'm going to wait a little bit longer. So, like, two, three more weeks before I start doing my seedlings is my plan. Uh, but, yeah, I'll go through everything. Um, the beets didn't do well. The carrots did never do well. The snow peas did not do well. Soybeans didn't do well. Um, celery kind of did okay, but I don't think it's worth it. Um, maybe the loofahs, but then I have to heat the garage, so probably not the loofahs. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. But I'm going to do a little bit because I will be emotionally happier for doing it. That's kind of my plan there. And on the Good Morning Hello, How Are You book, we are almost done. The book itself is done. Uh, I got my edit back from Lisa two weeks ago and uh, last week I did the whole edit all the copy edits that she had put in the book and we were doing this one in PDF form so it's a little bit more time consuming earlier edits she would do straight into word and I could just accept it and reject and basically I accepted them all uh, but this time I exported a PDF of the final book and she annotated the PDF then I had to manually make all those edits back in the book so it was it took it took some time it took like eight eight hours of solid work but it's done. So the PDF, the internal inside of the book is done. Um, I had this like weird dilemma yesterday. It was kind of interesting. Like two days ago, I was like, you know what I don't do in my books is I don't do an also by Rick Webb section where I list my other books. And this is my fourth book now. So, you know, plus I edited the Andy Shea book and I got a photography book. So, you know, I'd make, I'd make a nice little page. But all the books I read are so dis disparate. I'm not sure it's really worth it, right? Like... Do people care? People that are reading this book, they don't care about agency or a guide to wedding planning or a book about Star Trek. A book about, most people that read one of my books don't really care about the other books. And this is the first book I've written that I think like my friends would actually care about. So I don't think I'm going to do it because the only real reason is ego. And uh, I don't think that's worth it. So in the end, I was like, oh, I got to do that. That's what people do. And then I was like, but I, I don't do it. I also forgot to do an about the author page, which I think also is a little weird. I might combine those two. Now that I'm thinking about that, I don't know. Yeah, okay. Maybe I'm changing my mind on that. Maybe I'll do that. And then, of course, we got the cover. Finally, through a couple of rounds of uh, voting and comments from my readers, I have chosen a photo for the cover, and then Emma is going to do the type treatment of the cover. Hopefully this weekend, I got to get everything to her. Um, mm, 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 yeah, I got to gather, like I have a quote from Lisa, a quote from Emily who did the foreword and I got to get, you know, if there's a barcode spot, I got to figure all that out and get her everything. And, uh, yeah, I think we can get that done by early next week. And then I will ship it off for a test print, which I'd get back like around the, you know, the following week, which would be like February 7th ish. And then I could open her up for orders and I think everybody could get these books in February. So that's pretty exciting. That is pretty exciting. That's where we're at on that. I'm going to work on that today. I want to get this cover done. Yeah, this project's at the finish line, man. Let's get her over the finish line. Let's do it. Uh, and that's really about it for the projects. Although all the year-end projects are done, as I said before, I had one remaining last time I talked to you guys, but it turned out that one was really easy. I got that done. Um, yeah, not a lot of projects. I've been doing a lot of little chores, a lot of technical stuff with the QNAP and backups. 
Uh, I had been mailed a Barbarian hard drive. I mentioned that last week. So it took a really long time to get that absorbed into the QNAP and Backblaze situation. Then Emma got a new computer. And whenever Emma gets a new computer, that means there's a new computer to do time machine backups on because she migrates everything over. So suddenly the entire time machine backup is like two terabytes bigger. So I had to deal with that. And that's finished that up yesterday. So all the time machines on all the computers are working well. Moved over. Her old computer, which is my old computer, which is an 18-core iMac Pro, which is still fucking an awesome computer. So that's in the library now. And then the crappy old 2013 iMac that's in the library is now on eBay. If you're interested, let me know. Um, yeah, that's about it. That's about it. That is what's been going on here in Chatham County. Not the most exciting time in January. Oh, well, yeah, I guess I totally skipped health. <laughs> That, is, that has been the most exciting stuff. I am still on my wonder drug, Wigovi, the uh, weight loss medication I've been on. It's an injection. I take it once a week on Mondays. I have lost 20 pounds as of yesterday. I forgot to weigh myself this morning. So, uh, you know, it's been a little over three weeks. It's been three weeks, four days. I lost 20 pounds. I'm losing a little under a pound a day now on average, um, which is fine. Honestly, that's like three and a half pounds a week, four pounds a week, which is great i was hoping for a pound a day but that's what they say that's not healthy um and i don't think i've never successfully sustained a pound a day on average on a diet over a week or two beyond a week or two um yeah so we are on day uh, you know 21 22 25 day 25 and we're doing 20 it's about 7.75 pounds a day is what it's averaged out to so that's fine that's like four or five pounds a week i have lost 20 pounds i'd like to lose 40 more so, you know, looking about eight weeks, which coincidentally is about how much left I have this prescription, which is good. I do have a prescription written for the next step up, uh, next dosage strength of Wagovi, but the stuff is impossible to get. So it's kind of this race against time. Like when can the, when can the pharmacy fill the prescription? Can it fill it in the next nine weeks before this current run is run out? I don't know. So that's a little stressful. That's like a thing that's sort of weighing over me in my life but all in all the diet's going great it's really radically suppressed my appetite i'm just very rarely hungry and when i eat i am immediately not hungry again i have no problem fasting 16 hours a day i haven't really been counting calories i haven't been doing keto i've just been eating what i usually eat but just a lot less of it like less than a third of how much i used to eat and I maintain the fast, which I could not do before. I mean, I could sometimes, but it was really hard. Now it's, I don't even think about it. So yeah, it's nice. It doesn't like, I've gotten to a good groove with it and I don't really have to think about it, which is pretty cool. Still off the nicotine, still hooked on these stupid mints. I think I might go back to sugarless gum. <laughs> I have such an oral fixation. I can't stop. Every day I try and stop. I hide the mints when I'm working and I'm like, I just go crazy. I need to put something in my mouth at all times. I tried toothpicks, but I got too many splinters, and they burned my lips. And ah, I don't know, man. I don't know. I got to figure that out. But that's a minor problem. Being off nicotine, losing weight, not drinking very much. It's amazing. This is like, I've never done this in my adult life. So, yay, me. Media. Added a few things on Plex. Uh, Jandek on Corewood, a documentary about the outsider artist Jandek. I also watched that film, so we'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, I added Fellini's Roma as a request from my friend August Stone. I watched that 30 years ago, but I don't remember it, so I might watch that again. Leave Her to Heaven, a old, old movie from, mm, I'm going to say the 50s. When did Leave Her to Heaven come out, people? 1945, Leave Her to Heaven. Starring a lot of people. Oh, Vincent Price. Oh, that's cool. Mary Phillips, Gene Crane, Cornell Wilde, and Gene Tierney. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why I downloaded that. Uh, maybe because of the Crane song. There's a song called Leave to Heaven by the Cranes. Uh, and An American Friend, the 1977 Vim Vendors film. I'm trying to get all the Vim Vendors films that I don't have. So that one is now in Plex as well. I watched that in the 90s. I don't remember it very well. Kind of thought it was fine. Uh, it might be worth a rewatch. I, I was more into cool things back then than actual good. I don't know. We'll see. I'm not watching a lot of movies lately. I'm just watching a lot of TV. Sold two things on Discogs. I sold a Soul Invictus CD, Death of the West. Soul Invictus is sort of a apocalyptic folk goth kind of outfit. Uh... <laughs> What's that guy's name? That does Soul Invictus. Tony Conrad. That's his name. Tony Conrad. No, Tony Wakeford. That's what it is. Tony Wakeford. Uh, 
kind of a little bit dodgy because he's affiliated with a lot of sort of like fascists and racists. But he insists he's not one, and he doesn't really hang out with those people anymore. So it's sort of like a 70s, 80s thing. Honestly, into the 90s, because Douglas Pierce from Death and June and him were pretty close buddies. But he has emphatically stated he is against all of that. And he, apparently his wife is a minority of some sort, because he said that, like, you know, that if he were this way, he would have to feel that way to his own wife. I don't know. He is... He's saying all the right things, so I can't. I, it's hard to damn him by past associations. I don't really listen to them anymore. I still own a bunch of CDs of theirs from when I was a goth and clueless about this stuff because there was no internet to tell me. Uh, but I did give it another listen before I sent it off, and I was like, eh, is this dodgy? And so I did a little research into Tony Wakeford, and I think he might be okay. I think he might be okay. Uh, and then I sold another CD, also goth, uh, called Dr. Death's Volume 3, Les Peches de Lomont. Uh so there's this record label, goth record label in the early 90s called Salemort Records, uh, you know, instead of Salevi, Salemort, great name. Uh, and they had so many great bands on it. It's just a whole field of amazing goth. And they put out these compilations called Dr. Death. They put out five of them. And I own them all in one form or the other. I actually already own Dr. Death's Volume 3 on vinyl. I've been slowly trying to get all the Dr. Deaths on vinyl. I'm really obsessed with Salem Morton, the, the bands that were on it and associated with it. Some of them were on other labels. Some of them were on Project. Some of them you could still find are on uh, Spotify. Or, you know, they're on another label that, like, actually put their stuff on Spotify. Um, the Dr. Deaths compilations only recently showed up on Spotify a few months ago. So this one is now on Spotify. Um, but a lot of the other Salem Mort bands are not. Specifically, there's this one called Beautiful Pea Green Boat that I really loved, you know, from the Owl and the Pussycat. Beautiful Pea Green Boat. And they're still not on Spotify, but they have a song on Dr. Death's Volume 4, and I think they have one on 3 as well. But anyway, they're really great comps, and I really love them in the 90s. And I've been sort of mildly into them again because of, like, Area and The Moon Seven Times. And, and uh, yeah, so that one sold, kind of coincidentally. And um, I already own it, and it's recently appeared on Spotify, so I'm okay with that one being sold. Uh, got a bunch of vinyl in the mail. I have, you know, I don't, <laughs> whatever. Every time I'm like trying to project some trend on my vinyl buying, but the fact is, it's just like, there's always a ton back order that I forgot I bought and it just shows up. And, uh, I still look at the Discogs new real rivals from my want list every day and try and pick off the cheap stuff. So this time I got a copy of gift by the sisterhood original pressing sisterhood. Of course, it was a band from, uh, Andrew Eldrick from the Sisters of Mercy, uh, the original incarnation of the Sisters of Mercy featuring Wayne Hussey, formerly of the Mission, broke up. They amicably broke up, supposedly, and they both agreed that they would not use the Sisters of Mercy name. Wayne Hussey started a new band, and he called it the Sisterhood. Andrew Eldrick got wind of this, and he was very angry, and so he decided the only way he could stop it was to by co-opting the name and shelving it, because in England you have, they have these laws around this. The first person to put a release out gets the name and the other people can't have it. So sisterhood announced a show. I mean, Wayne Hussey's version of sisterhood announced a show and between when they announced the show and when they played Andrew Eldrick recruited a bunch of musicians, including Patricia Morrison, who went on to join the future sisters of mercy, a couple of weird vocalists in Alan Vega of suicide. And they made this album called gift in less than two weeks and released it the <laughs> single. Well, then they released the single giving ground within two weeks so they could claim the name. And then later on, they put out the whole album gift. Uh, I love the sisterhood. I always have Wayne Hussey, of course, changed his band name to the mission. Um, I've always loved this album. There's a song called Colors on there that was re-recorded by Andrew Eldridge as a bonus track to Floodland, which is how I first learned about Colors, is uh, the Sisterhood in the 80s. I've owned a CD version of Sisterhood since the early, early 90s, like 90 or 91. It was one of the first CDs I bought when I got to Boston. Uh, but I've never owned it on vinyl. It's very hard to find. They said they were going to repress it right before the pandemic. They have not. And uh, yeah, I like the single Giving Ground. I really love Finland Red, Egypt White. I love colors a lot it's great it's a great record uh he thinks it's garbage he's like although in a little bit of some ways it's kind of like almost like early electronica and it is you know dr avalanche of course the famous member of sisters of mercy that is a drum machine uh features prominently on sisterhood the whole album is basically some pretty complex drum machine rhythms and not a lot else going on a lot of the time so he makes you know he makes some good arguments of it being proto-electronica that i think are valid um, and, and, you know, then, of course, he went on and made the new version of Sisters of Mercy and wrote this corrosion and the rest is history. So people kind of forgot about Sisterhood, but it's a great band. It's a great record. Really love it. Happy to own it on vinyl, finally. The wedding present has decided this year they are going to do the seven inch of the month again. They did this in 1990. I'm going to say four is a rough guess. 
And I own them all, although I did not successfully get them all until this year. I owned about seven of them. I successfully got seven or eight of them the year it was happening. It's called Hit Parade. And then I picked up one or two through the years. But then this year, they're just not that expensive. On Discogs, I just picked up the rest finally. So I own a 12 of the original one. And this time, he, last time, I had to like find them the week they came out at Newberry Comics in Boston in competition with like four other people that wanted all 12 wedding presents, seven inches. And they only got like two copies a week. This time I just signed up for his record club and they will all be mailed to me, which is a lot more convenient. <laughs> so I assume every month this year when I'm doing this section, at least once, I'll be like, there, I got a new wedding present record. Well, the first one came in. It's called We Should Be Together. It features the woman from Sleeper. It's great. I liked it a lot. Good pop song. Uh, I got Let Into Gold, The Idiot, the one 12 inch by Let Into Gold that I did not have. Let Into Gold is kind of the gothy side project of Alan Jorgensen and Paul Barker from Ministry. It's late 80s. Uh, it sort of exists in the time frame right around every day is Halloween. So, you know, it's the more slightly dancey, slightly darker, way less metal version of Ministry. Um, I really love Faster Than Light and Chicks and Speed Futurism. Uh, there are other releases I have. Um, I saw that in the old Cat's Cradle a couple years ago, which was amazing. But this is one old 12-inch I did not have, and a cheap copy came up on Discog, so I got that, along with, same vendor, uh, Love and Rocket's second album, Express, which I have never owned on vinyl, because um, I was buying Love and Rockets mainly on CD back then, although I own all the 12-inches. It's weird. Um, so I got that. That was great. Uh, it has all in my mind, and Yin and Yang, the Flower Pot Man. It's a really great record. Strong recommend. And then Third Eye Foundation, which is sort of a drum and bass meets shoegaze project by this guy named David Pierce out of England. I think he's from Bristol. I was really into them in the mid-90s, let's say 95 or 96 era, along with Flying Saucer Attack, Movie Tone, this sort of whole school of kind of like avant-garde kraut rock from England. And uh, I've been trying to get them all in vinyl. There are just not a lot of vinyl copies in America of these records, but I found a cheap one, pretty beat up, but it was only like six bucks. So uh, I got that inversion by Third Eye Foundation, and I got a cheap copy of Heaven's End by Loop, which I thought was the only Loop record I did not own on vinyl, and I went to file it after I listened to it for a few days, and it turns out I already owned it. So I'm going to sell that. That was dumb. I now own two copies of Heaven's End by Loop. I, in fact, already did own all the Loop vinyl. I just did not catalog it properly in Discogs. Whoops. Uh, yeah, wait, the rest of these are not, oh, I messed up my thing. These are all albums I listened to. So I guess that's it for the vinyl, except, nope, one more. I just, yesterday, the kids soundtrack arrived. The, sorry, one second. Let's just correct myself here. All right. Yeah. The kids soundtrack, the movie by what's his name? <laughs> that wasn't Harmony Corinne. Harmony Corinne was in kids, right? Is that what it was? And it's by Larry Clark. That's his name. And the soundtrack is predominantly done by the Folk Implosion, Lou Barlow of Sebado's other band. Sebado's on the folk, on the soundtrack, as is Slint and some other music like that. It's actually, if you think about it, hugely unrealistic that all these like uh, sort of dirtbag skater kids in 90s New York were listening to this stuff and not hip hop. <laughs> but it's a great soundtrack and most notably features the one natural one, the song by the Folk Implosion that was a number one hit in America that nobody remembers. I'm the one natural one. Take it easy. Uh, yeah, I love that song. I love the folk implosion. Uh, I love Lou Barlow and all his incarnations. I've always wanted the kids soundtrack. Never owned it. Beautiful translucent yellow vinyl version. Old, old beat up copy, though. So happy about that. I did not listen to a ton of new albums this year, <laughs> year, this two week period since I last spoke to you. But I did listen to a few. Ross Gay, Delight Your Heart. Dilate Your Heart. I don't remember it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you know what? Let's take a pause. Let me refresh my memory. I'll, I'll be right back. All right, this was the last record from that Jag Jaguar 25th anniversary package I got since before I last talked to you guys. Um, it is a spoken word album. Ross Gay is a poet, and it is his poetry backed by sort of ambient atmospheric music made by various uh, Jag Jaguar artists, including Mary Lattimore and Bonnie Vare. And some ones I haven't heard of. So that was fine. I don't really like spoken word poetry music. I'm not really a poet guy, but it was fine. Uh, and then the other one, uh, I said that was the last one, but these are the last two, was a, a compilation album of stuff from Jag Jaguar called Sentimental Noise. It was actually really good, but it was a compilation, all different Jag Jaguar bands. So those are good. 
Those belong in the album section, I guess, because I actually own them on physical album. So then other stuff I listened to, I went on this uh, Caetano Veloso kick. He is a sort of Brazilian guy from the 60s who made two really great albums in the 60s. He's been around forever. I learned about him from Damon Krukowski's email. Damon Krukowski is the drummer of Galaxy 500 and Damon and Naomi. He has a really great email. Uh, it's called Dada Drummer, and it's a lot about the music industry, but also sometimes really great reviews of old, obscure artists. And so that's, I never heard of this guy, and he's got like 30 albums. So I picked sort of a sampling. I picked one from his early period, one of the ones that people love. His first four albums were all self-titled. They're all called Kitano Veloso. I listened to the 1969 one. I listened to what Damon said was his seminal live album, which is called Omaggio a Federico Aguileta, which was a homage to Federico Fellini at the Fellini Festival that his sister put on after he died. Kitano Veloso was apparently very good friends with Fellini, so he agreed to play this festival, and that was... Recorded live, and he said it was his best live album, and it was. Those two were fucking awesome. I loved them both. Uh, they call them sort of like a tropicalia. Tropicalia is the kind of music, but so I thought it'd be sort of like you know tiki, but it's not. It's cool. It's like Brazilian cool lounge, maybe like Girl from Ipanema era, but cooler and less less cocktaily. It's I like it a lot. And then he's still making music, so I listened to one from like a couple years ago called Meo Coco. That like is a little bit more rock. He's got a whole band, but it was still it's still pretty good. Not as good as the other two, but those first two, the Fellini tribute one and the 1969 self-titled Kelano Veloso, Caetano uh, Veloso, were both great. So thank you, Damon Krukowski from Galaxy 500, and your wonderful email for telling me all about those. I listened to the No FK Twig FKA Twigs mixtape called Capri Songs. I am unclear what it means to be a mixtape anymore because this sounds like an album where every song just has a guest, but that's like what people do on their albums anyway. So like if there seems to be some distinction between a FKA Twigs album and a mixtape, even though they're all just albums of songs that are originally written by her and whoever collaborator she's working on. It's very confusing. I don't know. And I read the whole review on Pitchfork and they just assumed you understood the distinction, but I don't. But it's a great record. Uh, I mean, it's smooth. It's it's very what well, I you know it fits into my W Hotel music in a better world genre. Uh, I like a couple of songs off of it. Start a few. Added a couple to my mixes. But I enjoyed it. I listened to another album by La 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 La. Sleepyhead is the name of the album. La 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 is the band that I've been into because she. The lead singer of the band was in another band that I liked. I told you about them last week. I've already forgotten their names, but, uh, <laughs> oh yeah, Dade, Emily Kemp from Dade. That's right. D-E-H-D and probably called Dead, but Emily Kemp is her name. And so I've been sort of exploring more Lala, Lala, and they're great. Uh, and when I sold that Soul Invictus CD, I also listened to a new one because I did not realize that guy was still making music, which is why I had that whole dilemma about is he a racist or not? Uh, so I listened to his most recent album because somewhere I read that he used to sing about politics and the state of the world, but these days he sings more internally about his own inner pain. I was like, well, that sounds great. I like inner pain music. So I listened to his new album, like, most recent album called Necropolis, and it did not really strike me as an album about inner pain, and it was not really my thing, although it was gloriously goth. So, I mean, if you're still into like apocalyptic folk goth, <laughs> the new Soul Invictus is not bad. Uh, <laughs> this is some, such weird shit this week. Peter Buffett. I discovered that the son of Warren Buffett was a seventies new age artist. Did you know this? I did not know this. Warren Buffett has a son who is a seventies new age artist and he was apparently pretty successful and on a very large, not Wyndham Hill, but the other big seventies new age label. And I listened to his big album one by one, a seventies new age album by the son of Warren Buffett. <laughs> and it's pretty good. Uh, no, I'm not going to lie. It's not bad. It's pretty solid new age music. You know? Other than that, I've really just been listening to, um, well, no, I listened to more than that. Where did it go? I listened to a lot of new shoegaze too. I don't know, man. I messed up my notes this week. Uh, let's see. Boop, boop, boop. I should have prepped for this better. We got them right here. We got them right here. Glare, heavenly. Oh my God, glare. So good. These, this, a few of these. I, I asked for new shoegaze recommendations, and two of my friends really delivered. So the first two of these are from my friend Bill, and then the other ones are from Jen. So glare, great band name. Heavenly is the name of the album. Awesome shoegaze. Kids making shoegaze. New shoegaze. Fantastic. Broken head is another one. Sun gazer. 
great shoegaze, new shoegaze, a little bit more rock and roll, maybe in the smashing orange vein of, of shoegaze. Uh, Viva Melancholia Violet EP was awesome shoegaze in the more like slightly goth vein. Talking Violet, Tell Your Friends You Love Them is also awesome new shoegaze. All great new shoegaze. Strong recommend on all of it. Thank you for those recommendations. And then we had, uh, I listened to an Unbunny album I did not know existed. Oh my God, I listened to so much music that isn't listed here. Man, I'm, I'm bad. Unbunny is this guy, Jared. He used to live in Portsmouth, New Hampshire area. We had mutual friends. I was really, really into Unbunny for a long time in the 90s. And I thought he stopped making music, and I think he has stopped making music. But before he stopped making music, there was one more Unbuddy album called Moon Food that I did not actually listen to. And I finally just listened to it. So getting the gift of a new to me Unbunny album in 2022 was quite nice. Quite nice. Uh, there's a, my favorite Unbunny is not on Spotify, but there is, a, there is good Unbunny on Spotify. Let's see. What do they got? Uh, yeah, Black Strawberries is on, 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 on Spotify and Snow Tires and Moon Food. So it's actually got yeah, four albums. Ooh, Uncertain Tracks, 96 to 2008. I haven't listened to this one yet. That's exciting. Putting that into the do 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 the investigate queue. Cool. And then I also listened to Oh, yeah, this is great. So another band I loved in the 90s was called Puka. It was two women, they did really beautiful harmonies and acoustic music. And they, oh, I see. I wrote, I put these, oh, Jesus. Yeah, here they are. They're all right here. <laughs> Something's going on. I seem to have messed up my TV thing. Okay, there we go. Uh, anyway, Puka was a, a duet. These two women, Natasha Leah Jones and Sharon Lewis, and they're, 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 Sort of debut album. The one I always loved is called Puka. They have like four other albums, and I talked about them years ago on this podcast because I bought them one by one on Discogs because they're not on Spotify, and I ripped them all, and I listened to all, and they're all great. All the Puka albums are great. But the best one, the first one, is now on Spotify, Puka. It's called Puka. And then I realized that they both, you know, the Puka broke up. I knew that, but I never thought to look about what they were doing solo, and they are both doing solo stuff, and they both have albums. So I listened to one album by each of them, uh, Natasha Lee Jones's The Morning After, and Sharon Lewis's Roses at the Top. And I liked them both. I didn't like either one of them as much as Puka, and they are stylistically different, so I can kind of see why they broke up. They're definitely going in different directions. But they're both beautiful, and they're both very, very good. So if you're looking for, like, sort of sophisticated lady folk uh, singer-songwriter stuff, Natasha Leah Jones and Sharon Lewis are both strong recommends. There we go. That is actually all the music that I listen to. That's a, that's a better showing than I thought originally. Yeah, I'm using... I use Evernote for my notes and it's very buggy and sometimes all the formatting gets messed up. So forgive me. TV. We finished Star Trek Discovery to the mid-season break. I'm not enjoying it. I've said that before. That's where we're at. The season picks up again on February 5th, so I'm looking forward to finishing it. Uh, we are working on Rick and Morty's last season. It is enjoyable. I've talked about that before. Nothing new there. Book of Boba Fett. We just, I just watched, we just watched the last episode Yesterday, two days ago, directed by Bryce Dallas Howard, it is by far the best episode of The Batch yet uh, for two reasons. One, it brings back some beloved characters, and two, it abandons sort of the frame story flashback structure that people have not been loving. So, strong recommend on the latest episode of Book of Boba Fett. My friend Sean says the way to figure out the good episodes from the bad in the Book of Boba Fett are the ones that Robert Rodriguez directed are bad, and I don't entirely disagree, and it's kind of confusing because I'm a big Robert Rodriguez fan, and I thought this was going to be a great matchup, but it just doesn't seem to work for some reason, and I don't know why. Uh, we finished Succession. It was very good, but profoundly unpleasant, and I'm very, very glad it's over. I don't really want to watch it anymore, but I will, because it has beautiful set pieces and amazing acting, even if the overall plot is turgid and uh, unrealistic and unrelenting and soap opery, which I have a problem with. But man, they can act, and man, the individual dialogue set pieces are just fantastic, even if the rest of the show is just a means to get to another set piece of great dialogue. <laughs> uh, Saturday Night Live is going great. Very much enjoying this cast still. Uh, that was a good time. Nice to see Kristen Wiig again. I really like her. She's awesome. And I had some MacGruber sketches. A little, and a little late on the MacGruber stuff. Um, I mean, like... MacGruber is funny, but they like, you know, they focused on some like, like QAnon shaman and then QAnon. That stuff's like a year old. Like there's plenty of newer, more recent shit to make fun of on 
you know, with the anti-vax movement. I don't know. It's just kind of weird, a little bit dated, but it's still solid. Uh, Peacemaker, the James Gunn DC show spinoff of the Suicide Squad is unexpectedly funny. I was very skeptical of it and uninterested in it, but I was like bored one day. I was like, I'll give this a chance. And it's decent. It's hilarious. It's, it's very trauma. Uh, I liked those old dumb trauma movies. So, you know, I'm glad one trauma director became a list. I'm glad that James Gunn made this weird, stupid thing and it's kind of enjoyable. Uh, the expanse is over. I ended it decently. I'm sad it's over. That was a very short but very solid season. It was basically, if you just view this entire last season as the finale of the season before it, it works very well. So, yeah, well done. Well done. You landed that show nicely. God, that was almost near perfect sci-fi. Well, well done. We watched Station Eleven. Finished that the other day. Uh, It was good. A little bit... uh, I would have loved it more if they could have relieved me of the pervasive sense of imminent violence. I did not enjoy that at all. The whole show filled me with anxiety. Anytime a person moved, I would be like, you got to look around that corner like a horror movie. And I don't think they intended it that way because they didn't end that way. But through the whole film, I was just like, they put enough of that in there. And of course, the setting almost demands it that I just, I was too anxious the whole time. And then they end on this, all this hopeful, hopeful, uh, whatever. I shouldn't talk about the ending too much, but uh, it was very good despite that. And I definitely cried a lot at the end. Uh, And then we finished the other two episodes of Adventure Time, Distant Lands, which is the extended new edition, new, new episodes really of Adventure Time. They are 45 minute long Adventure Time episodes on HBO Max. So, In the old days, Adventure Time was like 15 minutes, but sometimes they do these like six, seven, eight parters. And so this is basically like one of those sort of six part episodes as one episode. And there are now four of them or five of them. We had watched all of them, but two, and we just watched the last two this week. And they're just great. I love Adventure Time. I love these distant lands interpretation of it. And I think it's great. I hope they do more. They say they will maybe. They haven't said no, but they're not working on any. So it could be a while, but yeah, I really enjoyed them. And now we're watching Cheer season two which is intense and amazing. And uh, the whole thing is just so engrossing. And I, yeah, we just started it though. So we'll talk about that next time. Movies. I only watched that one movie. I mentioned it up above Jandek on Corwood. Um, Jandek is a very reclusive musician from Texas that for, from the seventies to the nineties, to the aughts, to the tens, put out albums, one or two albums a year, every year, and never did interviews and wasn't photographed. And we, all of us in this sort of underground community were very obsessed with them. I own like seven Jandek records on vinyl and you never knew anything about them. And then they made this documentary telling you all about that called Jandek on Corwood. And it came out in 2008 and it was great. Maybe it came out in 2007. Whenever it came out though, the very next year, Jandek decided after 30 years of being a complete recluse to start playing live. <laughs> So in a way, it was like a really ill-timed documentary. It was it turns out it was not a coincidence. Jandek tacitly cooperated with the Jandek on Corwood documentary. He gave the license for all the music to be in it. And I think he knew when that was happening that he was he was planning his live debut. And then from 2008 on, he just played live everywhere all the time. And I've seen him like twice now, which I, basically both times I went and I just kind of laughed. I was like, I can't believe I'm seeing Jandek. It's like seeing Casper the Friendly Ghost. Like you just never thought this would happen. It's not real. Um but it took away a lot of the mystique of it. So like, and then I, I think that's why I never watched the documentary. I just hadn't got around to it. I already knew about Jandek. I was like a Jandek, not mega fan, but I followed him. And then, you know, then when he started playing live, like the documentary just kind of became out of date. It was weird. I felt bad for the guy that made it, but, uh, I finally got around to watching it and it is really good. It's weird. It's not weird. It's very well-directed standard documentary. That's the the subject matter is interesting and it's not near as sad as the Daniel Johnston one. That's why I watched it. When I watched a Daniel Johnston one, I was like, well, I got to watch the documentary of that other weirdo reclusive outsider artist in Texas. And that's really it for movies. I did watch that two-hour YouTube documentary about Disney Fast Pass called Disney Fast Pass, A Complicated History. I'm not sure if that counts as a movie or not, but I think it counts as a documentary. It is a feature-length documentary. It just happens to be made by a YouTuber guy on YouTube. And in any case, it was great. If you're all interested in queuing theory, social science, social engineering, uh, any of that, Disneyland, obviously, uh, it's a great documentary. And the guy kind of like breaks the mold of being like a dude on YouTube explaining things by contributing some pretty profound original science to the situation. So that is a strong recommend. On books, I've been reading a bunch of short books. 
just to get them out of my queue and because I'm waiting for my copy of We Are But Your Children, The History of Club Man Ray, a book that um, this guy Sean in Boston wrote about Man Ray that we all participated in, and my copy should be here any day now, and I just can't wait to read it. So I've been reading short books because I don't want to be too engrossed in anything when that book arrives. So I finished The Great Outdoors. I'm sorry, The Great Indoors, The Surprising Science of How Buildings Shape Our Behavior by Emily Enthes. I mentioned this last time. Didn't love it. It was fine. It was a good book. It just wasn't the book I was looking for. I was looking for a book about our homes. And this is like one chapter on homes, one chapter is on prison, one chapter is on workplace, one chapter is on school. So it was kind of interesting, but it just wasn't what I was looking for. Outbound Sales, No Fluff by Rex Bilberson and Ryan Riesert. Like a year or two ago, some friend of mine mentioned that some friends of his wrote a very quick, no-nonsense book about sales, and I bought it thinking, oh, I could give this to new salespeople, Uh, but I never wanted to give it to people until I read it, and I just never got around to reading it, so it's the shortest book in my Kindle, and I read it, and it is fine. It's exactly what it says, a no-nonsense guide to engineering outbound sales. Several short sentences about writing by Verlin Klinkenborg. I hated it. It was recommended to me by some people in a Slack group I belong to. It's a book about writing. I thought it'd be right up my alley, but it was very bossy and negative and didactic. And, you know, at the beginning, he's like, you might disagree with me. That's okay. And that's like, you know, he said that and then proceeded to just say a bunch of awful stuff and really mean and inconsistent and illogical. And I just did not enjoy it at all. It was antithetical to the way I write in almost every way. Uh, And then I am now reading A Short History of Financial Euphoria by John Kenneth Galbraith, (laughs) which is a book about the history of uh, bubbles, basically. It was written in the 90s, so it won't have the internet and it won't have any of our bubbles now, but it'll be a good sort of in-depth. I just finished the foreword and chapter one intro last night, so, you know, I'm right. Next chapter is the tulip mania, so that ought to be really fun. Should be really exciting. Looking forward to that. That's about it for this episode. Thank you very much for listening. That's very kind of you. Uh, I hope you're doing well. Drop a line. Let me know how you're doing. I hope your January is going okay. Stay safe in the snowstorm. And I will talk to you guys in two weeks. Take care. <laughs>